0: Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 67, and you'll see that these words are the words of Zechariah and his prophecy concerning his son, John the Baptist, who, as we break into the story, has just been born. Luke chapter 1 and verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets which have been sent which have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath which he sware to our father Abraham that he would grant unto us To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. You may be seated.
1: I chose this passage in Luke 1 to give something of a um, idea of the the sermon that I have for today. Uh, the title is, The Movement of God is Forward. And uh, we had here a young man who expressed himself a few minutes ago, and he sure has some forward look, doesn't he? <laughs> well, that's really part of life that we can look forward and the Christian has a forward look like no one else except Christians really have and so this passage in Luke 1 has um, is a word of prophecy and has about it that uh, forward look that is typical of all prophecy time moves forward Victory campaigns for armies are always going forward. Successful businesses have a continuous forward look. Children growing up look forward to the next stage. And I thought about you children this morning, girls. I'm looking at you and you're looking at me and you boys. That this could be something that you will kind of remember. The idea of looking forward. And I'm sure you are... Looking forward all the time. I know. I remember my boyhood, and uh, how I was always looking forward about ten years ahead of my actual experience time. So, so I hope it's something you can relate to, and then something you can kind of remember. Uh, I had recently seen a message on a T-shirt that said, "quote." It was on the back of his shirt, young fellow. Quote, don't look backward. You are not going in that direction. (laughs) It's kind of like a duh. Like, yeah, of course. But I liked it because here I was now, um, and it was just since I had the assignment for this message today. That is something I can use. And we look forward, we don't look backward, we look forward. We tend to go in the direction we're looking. Lot and family were told by God to leave Sodom and not look back. Mrs. Lot looked back and immediately turned into a pillar of salt. You know the story. Lot did not dare look back to see her fate. God prepared the whole earth by his marvelous creation. You know, in the midst of winter like now, we look forward to springtime. And in the midst of planting in the spring, we look forward to summertime, to harvest. Uh, In the heat of summer days, we look forward to the moderating weather of fall. In the extra work of fall days, we look forward to the slower pace of winter. Life moves forward. The three literary components of the Bible are law, poetry, and prophecy. All three of these are represented in the garden era. First of all, there was the beauty and symmetry of size, color, texture, the taste of good fruit, the sounds of nature, with the aroma of pleasantness everywhere. It was poetic. And the prose harmonious, the meter of all things in perfect timing. The appetite for all five human senses was synchronized into the maker's praise, poetry. Poetry. And then there was law. There was, you remember, a minor prohibition about not eating the fruit of one single tree there in the midst of a garden. That's law represented there. And then there was a simple violation of eating from that forbidden fruit from one tree which caused Adam and Eve to be expelled and cast out of the garden. They would need to plow, plant, cultivate, harvest, and fend for themselves. The curse of sin was upon them. And with that, the creator God had a plan. And he gave it by his word of prophecy. So there we have law, poetry, and prophecy. Right there is the beginning of the world. There was uh, God gave the promise of a redeemer. And that will be one thing that is important to, for me to remember and for us to think about and it's foundational to this message that every promise, that every prophecy of God was a promise. Amen. It was foretold, it was spoken before All biblical prophecies are a promise of God. That is so exciting. So the question is, especially then as it relates to prophecy of future things, are we against the promises of God or are we for them? And I'd like to say that I have found a particular blessing in being pro-promise, pro-prophecy. Several weeks ago, I had the unusual experience of standing up and letting you know that in my project, in the project, not mine, but the project of writing a commentary for the New Testament, I was prepared or preparing to write on the book of Revelation. I left it for nearly the last one, the only one that remains after Revelation is a gospel mark. I had said, if you could pray for me, think about it, pray for me. And you know, I have been so blessed. There are times when I cry, there's times when I rejoice, there's times when I just groan. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Out loud. For the word of prophecy. So, last evening... I finished on chapter 12. I had some trepidation about chapters 10, 11, and 12. Glancing over them, I didn't know what I would do. I didn't know what I would write. And when I, as I got to writing, my writing went so fast that on one... <laughs> should I tell you this? On one of those days, I did a record number of pages... And it seemed like the word of the the Lord came upon me in such ways that I can't explain to you except I say thank you for when you thought about me praying that the Lord would make a visitation in my office for the work at hand. So we have here law, poetry, and prophecy. It kind of encompasses time. So poetry is um, especially uh, present time. Poetry and prose is especially for now, for our enjoyment. And uh, it's uh, a good for any given present moment. The Psalms are restful and comforting. Proverbs is encouraging. Ecclesiastes is reflective and curious meditation. Some people write poetic lines and other people read them. So there's poetry, uh, present tense. Uh, law seems to be something that is particularly past tense. Um, we, um, we think about law, uh, the consideration of maybe where we missed it. We look back, we see where we fudged, where we made a few exceptions, where we didn't mean to disobey, but we did the consequences can vary but they do apply so there's present tense and past tense present tense poetry, past tense law and future tense prophecy prophecy is a forward look the aspiration of the future the joy that we anticipate and it, it excites our hope seems to me that without prophecy, our hope would be small. Our hope would be weak. Our hope would be anemic. People that have a, a, a future forward look concerning prophecy are people that typically are experiencing hope. Does it make a difference in life? Brother, sister, it makes a difference. We can experience faith, but the whole idea of faith is taking us toward hope. Hope is not something that we decide on. The hope that is promised by God, the living hope by the Lord Jesus Christ is a hope that is built on faith. And we have hope only to the extent That we have faith. And so the faith that is directed toward prophetic scriptures. Is that uh, premise then. Or is the foundation for. Or becomes a structure of our hope. Does that make sense? (laughs) See heaven is not a choice. Heaven is a result. And likewise we say. That the hope that is promised by the Lord Jesus from God through the Lord Jesus Christ cannot be a hope that is simply chosen. That only becomes reduced to wishful thinking. The hope that is given in Christ and by him is a hope that is built on faith. And a people who do not have faith in the Lord Jesus do not have the hope of the Lord Jesus or the hope of heaven. The idea then that the prophecies are then a, a, a superstructure for our hope becomes a very exciting entity and something into which we are invited to enter. We tend to forget that the book of Revelation is the word of prophecy from God given by Jesus Christ. And thus also from Christ. And I will turn now to Revelation 1. And begins with chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him. To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ Christ. And of all things that he saw, blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. My Bible, I do not have a red letter edition. But those Bibles that do, do not put the book of Revelation in red print. And yet these are the words of Christ. (laughs) And I remind myself as I keep writing and think about the words here it's the words that Jesus gave to John. Right now my daughter Sharon and husband Willie are in one of the islands in Greece, Lesbos, or the one maybe below that. And I forget which is which. They're working with refugees. And the island of Patmos is not far down from there. So they think, Dad, you ought to come and visit us and then go to the Isle of Patmos and from there write your commentary on Revelation. (laughs) And I tell you, it pulls. (laughs) I don't think we'll do it. (laughs) Um, But we did a bit of um, uh, Google and whatever else there to... What's going on at Patmos today? You know, what is it like now? Well, it's a very touristy place, they say. Uh, So it would be easy to fly in, uh, be there, get your hotels, uh, visit a cave that is thought to be where John had received this word from Jesus Christ. Uh, Of course, they don't know. But that would all be very interesting... And um, <clears throat> at this time, I, of course, don't have any plans for that. I'm already halfway through the book, so by the time I would get there, I'd probably be finished. So, so uh, anyhow, it was an interesting thought. So the, the book of Revelation is the words given from God by Jesus to John. <clears throat> The Jewish scholarship centers in the Torah. First five books of Moses. And Amos Kaufman, Amos and Sarah were in Jerusalem with Christian Aid Ministries for several years. And he said that their, uh, their studies are taken up with the Torah, the Talmud, and the Mishnah. What are those? Well, the Torah is the first five books of Moses. And then... The Talmud is a commentary, a vast commentary. Shelves of books as commentaries on the Torah. And their scholarship wasn't finished. What they did then was do another whole compilation of commentaries called the Mishnah that are based on the Talmud. So the Mishnah interprets the Talmud... The Talmud interprets the Torah. How does this pertain? Simply to say that scholarship for the Jews is a study of the Torah and all that pertains underneath that. They, the, the Jews, Israel, majored in law, and uh, we could say that the further they moved away from the prophecies of the Old Testament, the further they moved away from the law of God and in its place turned to the idols and ways of the heathen nations. So we say that as Israel lost sight of the prophecies, they also correspondingly eventually lost sight of the law. Does that want to say anything about anything, any consideration for ourselves? I would I would wish that uh, our churches at large would be a bit more interested like the generations of the past were in future prophecies. The revivals of the 1950s and 60s in our churches had some ignition, shall we say. From their study of prophecy. Hmm? Right. And the Mennonite church. Especially the Lancaster Conference. Had their. At a large extent of their revivals. Were also earlier. A generation earlier. In the 1920s. uh, Through the 1940s. And uh, their ignition. For that um, revival movement. Had a healthy. And corresponding. Uh, interest in the prophetic scriptures. So we talked a bit about uh, the Jewish situation. The Catholics have a scholarship in the study of the Church Fathers. They look at hierarchy, uh, edicts from the Pope, which is passed on down through the bishops and who overall, uh, as a basis for their church members to believe and to follow. And I understand that they hated, they hated the Left Behind series. Because the Left Behind series, while it was a Protestant books and movies on the second coming of Christ, because it was given as something that would happen before the end of the world and the Catholics hated it. I understand that the Catholics have are the largest, the strongest Christian church body that uses or makes a lot of use of the allegorical method of interpretation which is given to excesses in say like in the atonement, uh, confessions purgatory transubstantiation, infant baptism, veneration of virgin Mary, beatification of saints communion um, with the uh, transubstantiation factor in it and um, with statues and icons and etc. So the Catholic scholarship is largely in the Church Fathers. The Amish discouraged Bible study; are strong on folksy literature, stories, magazines, history, various kinds of things, just not the Bible. They're strong on covenant keeping for church administration. But weak on future prophecy and tend toward the Catholic allegorical view of spiritualizing it, I like you say, which John Yu says, nothing spiritual about it, but you understand the term better, spiritualizing prophecy to where it means something different from what is stated in their various places. The Mennonites encourage Bible scholarship and study the Bible but also have a strong, or should I say, a dual emphasis on Anabaptism. And that has come of late, maybe in the last 10, 15 years or so, uh, a very strong emphasis on Anabaptist history, uh, which um, evokes some concern on my part, because I think that the Bible should be put up there on a shelf by itself, and not have Anabaptist books alongside as a way of interpretation and trying to live as they lived. While there's things that we can learn from Anabaptist history, I think the, uh, for, for my part, um, and I'm okay with saying this publicly, just the caution that we don't overdo it in that area. I think there's a possibility that that can become a distraction from a pure study of the Word of God, or a study of the pure word of God. There are some people who claim Anabaptist history and Anabaptist thought as a final word, and we take the Bible here, this, as the the final word from God. And uh, I prefer to have a study of the word of God and have it firsthand rather than second-handed through through some other means. So you say, okay then your commentary is going to be secondhand, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I'm hoping my prayer is that God will use that to bring people back to the word and to, stay, to see in, by interpretation and application how the word of God is primary. And we'll get excited again about the scriptures, in particular, the New Testament, but also the Old Testament. <clears throat> so God's movement is forward. We saw God's promise to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3:15, I think it is. Um, the prophecies that were given to Isaiah and Jeremiah. Ezekiel, Daniel, Micah, Obadiah, Zechariah, Malachi. I didn't say them all. The prophecies. Kind of heavy stuff to read and digest and get a grip on. But they were pertinent for their time. And it was to call Israel and Judah back to God. So we're saying again, I'm repeating myself, that as Israel failed in seeing the prophecies, they eventually failed in keeping the law. Mm -hmm. And with that, we're taken to Babylon. When God spoke to Abraham, he gave him promise, and his dealings with Abraham was... Forward. (laughs) So then there was Isaac and Jacob. And the promise that was given to them and reiterated and made alive and made renewed and given to them again was the Messiah. The Christ of God. That the Redeemer would come. It was always forward. Being biblical is not based on what we read and have been taught. Being biblical is not based on what we read and have been taught. Being biblical pertains as to what we embrace from what we've read and been taught. What we embrace... What we embrace is the key part. What you boys and girls embrace from God's truth is for you in particular. You can read the Bible stories; that's great. And uh, and then read some of you're old enough to read some in the Bible. And as you embrace that, it will be a part of you, and it will come in good stead in your lives. Shall I say? Shall I say? I'm t- I want to take you with me. I will say, in your forward walk. I think what Sam gave this morning is a tremendous lesson for you boys and girls. No idea of the future, but God led him to El Salvador. And I'm getting used to this already, this Sam and Patric- Patricia, if I can say it right. Can you get ready with that? Yeah, Sam and Patricia. Okay, good. <laughs> <clears throat> so the idea is that God is leading us forward. And there's a goal. There's, a, there's an event to happen. Jesus is coming again. And there will be an end to the world. (sighs) The book of Revelation has been recorded here in fairly clear English. Uh, It's given the words given by Jesus, and it's beyond. Natural cause and effect, which brings me to, which brings me to uh, just reviewing for us, either reminding if you knew it before, or instructing if you have not known it before. That all prophecy of the Scripture is a promise from God. Number one, number two, number two, is that most prophecies involve a miracle in some way. This is tremendous. That the prophetic word is a promise from God and that what he has spoken, he will do. Because he's a God of miracles. So the question is about faith in prophecies. Do we, do we accept the promises of God and are we okay with the miracles? done by God so as we look in the Old Testament the prophecies that were given think about that the prophecies fulfilled that are now a part of history as we look back we can see that the amazing promise of God had really meant to be what he had said and that sometimes when it seemed impossible there was a miracle element involved with it that caused it to happen. So within the, within the context of its origin being from God as a promise and having as a platform miracles which are, can be enacted by God upon his will make these prophecies happen. Even that which seems impossible to us. <clears throat> So the angel's message to the shepherds was that the Christ child is born. It was a future hope. Jesus Christ then, as he entered into his ministry, his teaching was toward the future. For the provision of having a basis for our faith. And from that then, the building of hope. The building of hope, a superstructure for our lives. His teachings toward the future were a means of hope. His teachings included prophecy of the future. There are a number of prophecies that Jesus spoke of. In fact, there are prophecies in a lot of different epistles. The prophecies are not only, especially, of the book of Revelation, there are prophecies in various epistles that are tremendously interesting and powerful and uh, call upon us to receive them by faith. They're also promises of God. His resurrection was, a, was the, um, the um, means for a, a wonderful future because the promise with his resurrection is that by receiving his life, we also will be resurrected. If we wouldn't have those prophecies, how would we live? What would we do? What would there be about a funeral? What would there be about a wedding? What would there be about baptism? What would there be about church life if there were no future? and We, we didn't know that there's life beyond the grave. That we didn't know there's life beyond this sickness or this disease or this accident or this whatever happened in my life. There is life beyond that. There is always hope of the future where none of these things that are here on earth and distress us will be a part of our experience. His ascension provides for a victorious future, which gives us a great deal of hope. His coming again, a triumphant future, which gives us hope. Really, the subject of hope is not my subject today, but the subject of hope has about it two things in the Bible. It is almost always in conjunction with one of these two things. The the hope that is given in the Bible on that subject, it will almost always either with the resurrection of Christ or His coming again. (laughs) So So that the resurrection of Christ is the means for the hope, the basis for our hope, and His coming again is the object of that hope. And those things are meant. To draw us forward. Where we go with the Lord. Where we go with him. In our daily walk. It's forward. Alright some references now. Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Chapter 26 and verse 62 and following, we have And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest read his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. Our Sunday school lesson was interesting. And a central verse was. Ye do err. Not knowing the scriptures. Nor the power of God. And as Jesus spoke that to these. People that were in opposition. It was a most. It was a most. uh, uh, Cornerstone event. Or a most. Foundational. Statement in just a few words so knowing the scriptures believing them and being receptive to the power of God provides for a great deal of blessing in the Christian life especially in the area of faith and hope so when Jesus spoke of the future his future which was true enough they, they, it was one of the most one of the most um, one of the greatest outbursts of reaction against the very person of Christ. <clears throat> Alright, let's go to Acts chapter 2. And of course we're not going to exhaust the subject, but just giving some illustrations uh, of let's say uh, here we are with Apostolic Preaching, Acts 2, 14-21. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. And this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God... I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. That was the the punchline. Being saved. Being saved from your sins. And Peter in his sermon reaches back to prophecy. To bring about his appeal to them to be saved from their sins. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Acts 3.19. Acts 3.19 through 21. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. (laughs) Preaching, apostolic preaching, and referencing prophecy. Acts 17, and verse 31, as another illustration. 17, 31. Because he hath pointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. That then caused people to some mocked him and said, "Ah, oh, yeah, so of us. Like, this is unusual, or this is not necessary, or this is inappropriate. Uh, you know what? Maybe later we'll listen to you." Verse thirty-four. Howbeit he certain men clave unto him and believed, there are those who will believe. That's the appeal. Romans and Ephesians have verses about the future, emphatic words, clear words, words that simply tell us that there's a work of Christ that will be done in the future that will be for the final redemption. Of all the people of God. <clears throat> oh, I laid this aside. I wanted to pick up here. I have how much time and how many verses. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ... That everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that he hath done. Whether it be good or bad. And that same idea is given in Romans 14.10. About us Christians. We. Us. Appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. And then 1 Corinthians 15.50. 1 Corinthians. Um, 1 Corinthians 15.22. I want first of all. Back to First Corinthians fifteen twenty two <clears throat> Yes, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted as an exception. Which did put all things under him, which is God, and when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. It almost sounds like a, um, a, a, a quick run of what the book of Revelation uses then at length to explain and to express, First Corinthians 15 and uh, verse 50. Now this I say brethren that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God neither doth corruption inherit incorruption behold I show you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. By his resurrection, by his ascension, by his coming again, and by taking his reign. <clears throat> we could look at 1 Thessalonians 4. And that would be about the um, Lord Jesus coming, where we will be caught up. <laughs> 2 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 10, the, judge, the righteous judgment of God, gives some specifics. And so I say that the parts about the, the prophecies yet to be fulfilled, both in general and in specific, are really to excite us and to draw us forward and to carry us forward and to cause us to walk forward with expectation with faith and what else with faith and with what else hope. with hope amen <laughs> amen hope is an exciting thing i would i would hope actually i wish i would wish And I would pray that we could more and more grasp that hope that is offered for us in Christ Jesus in regard to end time events. For Jesus is coming again. Yesterday I had an experience in Revelation chapter 12 a chapter that I probably dreaded more than any others of those three that I thought would be a problem, 10, 11, 12. But there is something developed in verse 8. In verse 8. I'm not going to go into that now. It would make a sermon all its own. And with that I had plenty to write about. <laughs> with that, there was an, an opening for, with that verse that uh, to me was a marvel. And to me it was exciting. It is that Satan was cast out. Finally. And the accuser of the brethren. Right then in that context. Is cast out. And there are people. I'm not included in that group. That thing it is at that moment. When the church is caught up. And so. Right after that then. Comes this verse about. Satan has great wrath. Because he knows he has but a short time. There are two things that Satan lost in that moment. The one was that he doesn't have access anymore to accuse the brethren before God. And the other is if it should be that the Christians were taken. So there was like a double whammy against Satan. I say hallelujah. <laughs> it might cause me to see the, tribula- uh, the, uh, the rapture being mid-trib, middle of the tribulation. I don't know. I just say in my book, it could be at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1. It could be at the opening of the sixth seal. I'm saying it could be now. It could be at the end. And the Catholics might be right. <laughs> but, I'm, but we're just saying that the word of the Lord is that Jesus is coming quickly. Not soon. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says he's coming quickly. A number of times. He's coming quickly. And so the victory that is for us when Satan will be cast out of heaven and the saints will be brought in. I'm almost starting on another subject. But I'm about at the point where I want to conclude. So we have Hebrews 11. How people look forward. The people of faith, they look forward. Oh, Here. Did you see this yesterday? Yesterday's paper, Lancaster paper had this. Huh? I thought it was pretty neat. I hadn't read the article, I just saw it. The title is, official, colon, Storm Came at a Bad Time. I thought, well, that kind of fits to my sermon today. Well, these things that are, will be happening from the book of Revelation, if we're to be understanding that at face value, um, is that there'll be a storm. And as we begin in chapter 13 which I hope to begin tomorrow, is the, the, the second three and a half year period of the tribulation when things really become bad. Storm came at a bad time. <laughs> I think, oh Lord. <laughs> but we are delivered from that storm. The storm of Judgment. The things against, that will be against this world. <clears throat> so Revelation 1 says, the things which must shortly come to pass. And Revelation chapter 4 will then say, which is very pertinent to this whole consideration. And after this I looked and behold a door was open in heaven. <clears throat> and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. Which said come up hither. Some people think the church went up at that time. We'll go up at that time. Come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. The word must and the word shall is freely used in the book of Revelation. Do you really understand the power of that word? <laughs> and then it says must. We make a good bit of, we have made a good bit of, uh, of that about you must be born again. The word must. We became become very emphatic, you must be born again. Huh. Guess the revelation, then we're not sure. Must ah uh, yeah, maybe, but you know, you know, who knows? So one of, my, one of Esther's sons met a man. We just put them last weekend. Met a man. Was talking to him about being saved. Then he said, you know, it, it, you might be right, but I just have no way of knowing. I think we'll just have to wait and see. Well, Lawrence said, you need to get saved. You go to hell. I don't think he said quite that strong. Well, he says, I'm just not sure. I... I I don't really feel like... um, I don't feel like it's going to be... uh, Well, I just don't know. So I don't think... I'm going to take my chances on... Maybe it won't be that way after all. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Um, There are those who are uh, pan-millennialists, the the word pan, pan pan-millennialist, I don't use the word premillennial, amillennial, I don't allow that. I had this class at Calvary Bible School a few times, we didn't allow that word in class at all. I think that has caused so much distraction and turned off so many people that it's too bad. So there are those who say, well, I'm a pan-millennialist. A pan-millennialist. Now, the word pan in the dictionary says, a layer of hard soil resistant to water. It is a word that is, applies in criticizing unfavorably as in a, in a critical review. That's from a dictionary. I would prefer not to be a pan-millennialist, but I would prefer to be one who looks at the book of Revelation like you do the whole Bible. I call it not a literal view necessarily, although it is that. I call it a word value, a word value interpretation. I believe that the Bible can stand on its own in any verse, in any context. And we should see it, first of all, right there. And I have, <clears throat> I have, um, I have a bit of grief about a f- form of a system of interpretation that goes back continually. Back to the epistles, back to the gospels, back to the Old Testament, back to history. Always back. There is an interpretation system About the book of Revelation that will take you back. I have a book like that. Very well written, but going back. It's going back all the time. It's going back. My Bible takes this whole program of prophecies and leads us forward.